Are you ready to be awakened and empowered in your calling and purpose? Are you a builder and shaper of the church, marketplace, and society? Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and I look forward to helping you get equipped as a catalyst of the kingdom in your sphere. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. And if you're watching from History Makers TV, make sure you click like, subscribe, hit the bell, all that good stuff. We have been in a loaded series. (laughs) on prophetic ministry, maturing, seeing a mature apostolic and prophetic. And I'm talking about today why prophetic words don't always come to pass. (laughs) Right there, there's the trigger. Why prophetic words don't always come to pass. The reality is, as we've already underscored throughout the series, if you've missed previous episodes, make sure you go back and catch those. But we've already underscored that Old Testament prophecy is different than New Testament prophecy, just a bit different. It's a different technology, different dispensation, and I won't go over again those kind of differences, but we see as the Holy Spirit is poured out and the gifts of the Spirit are disseminated throughout the body, there still is prophetic ministry. There still is the ministry of the prophet. You see it throughout the New Testament. It's lovely. It's wonderful. It's awesome. But the Bible does say that it's possible to miss it. We prophesy in part because we see in part, and we're even exhorted in the New Testament church model that prophetic words should be judged, should be analyzed, should be looked at. Uh, This tells us that it's because it's possible to miss it sometimes. Is that okay? Now, if we know that prophetic words can be off, skewed, come through a filter of the human being that that skew it. Uh, if we know that, that should help you to understand what kind of level of, of priority, or, or we don't just jump and take a word as major direction for our lives. The principle I always say is never leave a major decision in the realm of the prophetic only. Never leave a major decision in the realm of the prophetic only. I personally always look for gathering up evidence in the court. You know when a uh, one side presents their case in a court and you bring the jury to a sure conclusion beyond a reasonable doubt. That's what I love to do with the Lord when it comes to major decisions. I look for not just dreams, prophecies, all of those are good, but I also look for the inner leading of the Holy Spirit that is accompanied by supernatural peace. And I'll dive into that more in this series, but there actually is a higher dimension than just somebody prophesied over me, so now this is going to happen. Prophecy is more so, not always, but more so meant to confirm an inner leading already. It should bring a confirmation and a peace within your heart most of the time. So we're talking about reasons why prophetic words don't always come to pass. And this is why we're exhorted to judge them, to analyze them. The first one, and I've actually, I'm going to do this in a systematic way today for you, but God knows that a person can miss it. And there are reasons why we miss it at times. So number one reason why uh, prophecies don't always come to pass. Number one, they prophesy 
where the prophet or the prophetic voice prophesies presumptuously. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 18. This can sometimes be knowingly, like in the Old Testament for the, the, the spirit of the Lord coming upon a prophet was so strong that it was almost an ecstatic experience. So for the prophet to not prophesy correctly mean he essentially had to intentionally skew the word, manipulate the word to deceive the people. That's a real false prophet and false uh, prophecy and it's rebellion. That's why in, in those days it was you got stoned because you have intentionally skewed and manipulated the prophetic word. But we also have prophesying presumptuously in the New Testament to be unknowingly, unintentionally, you got excited, uh, you came under the atmosphere of whatever, you prophesied through your filter of bad theology, political desires, which we'll touch on. Uh, all of those filters that we carry allow us sometimes to miss the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to skew the word of the Lord, what God is trying to say, and we miss it. So that's a prophecy that's presumptuous. And I have to say a high percentage of what we're seeing today, online prophecies, the, 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 the conference, all this kind of stuff, nothing against conferences, but in a, an emotionally charged atmosphere is my point. There's a higher rate of failed prophecy, inaccuracy, uh, and especially as we come to the end of the age of overemphasis within the prophetic. There will always be prophetic emphasis. We always want to pursue prophecy. But as we come to the end of this kind of overemphasis where prophetic is tagged on to literally everything we're doing, and you're almost seen as more spiritual if it's a prophetic conference versus a conference, uh, we see a lot of inaccuracy uh, due to presumptuous uh, prophecy. And one of the notable signs I've seen with mature prophets and prophetic voices is you don't see the, uh, they don't come across as feeling the need to prove, the need to perform. They have learned to handle the word of the Lord with such a reverence, awe, and they're careful. They don't even speak to certain things uh, without real revelation that they are sure of. They just don't easily come under emotionalism and sensationalism because they are mature. They have maturity. Number two, reason why prophecies don't always come to pass. The person, the prophetic voice may have prophesied according to the soul. According to the soul. Now, this kind of prophetic word and insight happens more so to the immature, again, in atmospheres that are emotionally charged, sensationalism. We, we're quick to prophesy, and, and what can actually happen if we're not mature prophetic voices is we can actually read their soulish desires and speak to them. <laughs> we're actually picking up what that person's soul is craving and longing for. We pick it up. And we interpret it as the word of the Lord for them, thus affirming the delusion or earnest desire of the soul. Wrap your mind around that. And so, for example, some person comes to the meeting and he's, he's just desiring so much to marry that girl. <laughs> Have you ever wondered where, where these, these words come from? And, and the prophetic voice you know, this earnest desire is so strong, the prophetic voice actually reads the soul and misses the spirit. 
he, he, he or she departs from revelation and is now prophesying according to the earnest desire. I'm using earnest desire for a reason. And then speaks to it. And, and the person says, ah, oh, it's confirmation. And he goes over to that woman and says, the Lord has told me to marry you. And, and the prophet said this. And you have all of this stuff going on, uh, which can be very, very misleading uh, at the least. The other thing that can happen is how the spirit of Jezebel operates in the area of when it becomes charged with witchcraft. So prophetic words have power, don't they? When it becomes charged with witchcraft uh, and the word is released, it's because that particular person has an earnest, heartfelt longing for something that is out of or contrary to the will of God. All right? How we fall, that's really what lust is. Whether we're lusting for a woman or a man or lusting for a thing or a, when, you're, when you're desiring something that is outside of the will of God, it can actually become charged with Jezebelic demonic power. You're longing for that thing beyond what God uh, desires for you and prophecy comes in. And, and of course, you know what happens. The person takes it as even more confirmation. Uh, we also discussed, I believe it was last week, that some people come into agreement, unholy agreement against a leader, and all three of them are getting revelation. All three of them feel something prophetically, and, and you see witchcraft, ultimately the spirit of Jezebel, rips right through that church, rips right through that situation because of the power of agreement. It becomes a power structure charged with, with witchcraft. Do you see the power of prophecy? Why these things need to be judged and not handled so, so loosely? So the reading of the soul, earnest desires contrary to the will of God coming from the receiver. For myself as a prophetic voice, I always look for this. When I'm looking at someone or the Holy Spirit has highlighted somebody or someone asks me to prophesy, my gift operates. If I can see a picture, I can prophesy. If I touch them in any way, I, it, it opens up for me. But I'm often looking for, because I'm also uh, skilled in viewing details, uh, I can read things on a person quite well, uh, observant, all of that, I always have to make sure not to prophesy presumptuously and that I'm not looking at the soul, but I'm looking at what is God actually saying. Number three, why prophetic words don't always come to pass. The word was influenced by <laughs> intense emotions or sensationalism. <laughs> oh, man. If you've ever wondered why so many prophecies about politics don't come to pass. Have you ever wondered that? Like major prophets uh, who are considered mainstream, trusted, credible voices, and they'll weigh in on elections, whether in this country or another country. Um, most recent, we saw the fanfare in Nigeria where, where you, you, you could literally watch as many of these uh, prophetic leaders or just quote-unquote men of God weighed in and made claims uh, that this particular person was God's chosen, he would win, and then you see that it didn't happen. And then for us, the usual default is, and it was there too, well, the election must have been rigged. And so 
Oh, God was stopped by a rigged election. You know, these kind of things, we begin to make excuses for missing it. And, and then what doesn't help is when we start stoning people and saying, hey, look, this person's a false prophet there. They might not even be a prophet at all. You're just dealing with an emotionally charged political filter. And if you don't think political filters and views are that powerful in how they operate in the brain, uh, then you've never sat at a dinner table with people sharing political views. These people might absolutely love each other. They might be family. And the arguments begin. And it's so charged. I mean, I've seen it in churches. Political views have the power to just completely divide the body of Christ in a profound way. It's not that we shouldn't have political views, but you just have to know that when we get up and prophesy, sometimes where there's an emotionally charged atmosphere, you'll find the mishandling of prophecies. For example, politics, marriages, <laughs> marry, bury, uh, deaths, uh, babies. Uh, I've heard prophets say, I don't, pro I, I never prophesy marriages, burials, and babies. And there's a reason for that. There's just such a high rate of missing it. And, and I know this might be triggering for some right now. This is tough to hear because you have an idealism about the prophetic or a dogma. But the reality is if you, if you use your critical thinking that God gave you and you really analyze this from an objective point of view, you'll see, wow, we really miss it on some monumental historical events. And the true accurate prophets or prophetic voices are maybe not as many as we, as we think. You get a few that weigh in and they nail it. But in recent history, we just aren't, we just aren't seeing that. And that's a reality. When it's emotionally charged or the sensational, when something is being sensationalized, you run into uh, uh, that kind of thing, intense emotions. And the reason is, when we receive uh, a, a revelation or a word, it's got to travel through the filter of our minds, unfortunately. <laughs> it's got to go through our soul. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. Does that make sense? Our mind, will, and emotions. So imagine a prophetic word given by God, and it's got to go through your mind that has all kinds of stinking thinking, it's got to go through your will. You want this person to be elected. <laughs> you want to marry this person. It's got to go through your emotions. So it's got all these filters to travel through. And of course, oftentimes it gets skewed along the way. I think that's pretty clear. I don't need to weigh in heavier than that. If you really look at it uh, objectively, you will see that this is absolutely so. And it's why we're exhorted to handle prophetic words in a certain way. As I've already underscored, the days of the Old Testament where the prophet was the mouthpiece of God to the people, meaning they don't hear God unless through the prophet. The prophet has the full and total word, and we all must obey the word. Uh, that is just not always so. All right. So number four, the word was wrongly interpreted by the one who saw it or heard it. So you might have seen a vision heard the Lord speak to you, but then you interpreted it the wrong way. I have seen on a profound level, having been in the charismatic movement for a long time and Pentecostalism and all of that. If there are three Pentecostals in the room in those days, I was one of them. If there are charismatics, I am one of them. 
but I would see where the person would have received a word, the prophetic voice walked by them and said this, this, and that, and especially if you don't get the recording of it, it's profound, just like the telephone game, how that word gets turned, altered, uh, by the time they walk out the door and, and head to go home, suddenly that word is being turned to say something else, to affirm something within them, uh, to affirm a, a point of insecurity, uh, to confirm something, or often it's just misread and mishandled. And we in our church years ago had several experiences like this where the word was misunderstood and it was then used as an anchor or a compass of where we were going and it was totally off. And we watched ultimately as the spirit of Jezebel just ripped through our church at one point because of the mishandling <clears throat> uh, of the prophetic word. So I've seen this. So so the word was wrongly interpreted by the one who heard it or saw it, uh, or there's just, you know, bad theology. Um, there's all kinds of filters, as I said, that it has to travel through. Number five, the prophetic word or the prophetic voice came under the influence of a lying or deceptive spirit. The prophetic voice came under the influence of a lying or deceptive spirit. And I, I touched on uh, an event that I saw in a previous episode where a trusted prophetic voice had flown into this conference. I knew who was hosting the conference. I knew that this person struggled with lying on a pathological level. There was a bunch of stuff going on there. And, uh, and I watched as she got up to prophesy and I never saw her so inaccurate, so exaggerative, uh, it was just total, it was a mess. And it, and it was recognized by leaders across the country and, and normally just bang on with this particular prophet. Uh, but I watched as she came under what was a canopy, a lying and deceptive spirit. And even the best, listen, no matter how seasoned you are as a leader, we all know, even if you're a prophet, <laughs> uh, we all know that nobody is superior uh, just because of their gifting. We all have to watch how tired we get. We all have to watch our heart motives. We all have to watch, um, you know, it, it's just par for the course. You got to keep it together. You're a leader. You're leading people. And so, you know, I saw that this took place and, and, and that was a real lesson for me. And I've seen it in other places where normally accurate people come under that thing. And it's a challenge. It's a, it's a challenge, especially today, with the enormous amount of pressure in this area, we put on prophets. Uh, we don't necessarily read the Bible for ourselves. We're looking for a word. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to pay the price in prayer. A lot of people don't want to pay the price in prayer. We look for a word. We're going for a word. And listen, this is a stewardship thing because we want a word. We love the word of the Lord. I love to get a word from a prophet. I, I love to get prophesied over and get clarity on things. I'm all for that. It's a stewardship thing, though. And so we have to always watch our, our checks and balances. It's not control, it's just stewardship. So that's number five. Number six is the prophecy required action or obedience on the receiver's part. So again, we're talking about why certain words don't come to pass. If the prophetic word was genuine and it was released, we're, we're addressing why it, it might not come to pass. Just because it doesn't come to pass yet, 
doesn't mean that the prophet or prophetic voice was wrong. It doesn't mean that they missed it. Sometimes it's totally accurate, but you didn't act. You didn't obey. Uh, these are words that are sort of conditional in nature uh, because God, we see this throughout Scripture. If you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, I will do this. There's a cause and effect uh, forum involved here. And so because you didn't obey or because you didn't pray into it or because you didn't act on it, because you didn't take it seriously and care about it, then perhaps the thing the thing doesn't come to pass. Along those same lines, number seven, the prophecy, though it might be genuine, was altered by the will of man. <laughs> was altered by the will of man. Do you know how your strong will, how strong your willpower is? In fact, your willpower is so strong and God made you that way because what kind of a loving God would make us robots that just are enslaved and have to, we're under control. God actually gave us a will. He gave us our ability to say yes to the apple in the garden or no to the apple. He gives us a choice and he says, choose one. Uh, but your willpower actually has the power to send you into hell. Your willpower, you've got the power to say no to God. And so there are times when a prophecy is released and it's what God wants to do. It's what he intends to do. But your willpower, you said no to God, you disobeyed the word, you ran from it, you, you manipulated something, and you can actually nullify certain <clears throat> dimensions of, of the prophetic word, certain, certain prophecies of a certain dimension. So the disobedience one is key. The last one, number eight, why some prophetic words don't come to pass is that God, now this one's loaded, just if you're in a car, put your seatbelt on. If you're holding the coffee, set it down. <laughs> but God changed his mind and relented. God changed his mind or relented. Did you know that God can change his mind? When you look scripturally at the God of the Bible, not philosophy, not philosophically or through idealism, through the lens of the Bible, you find out that God actually had moments where he changed his mind. This is fascinating, and it's a whole other subject that I teach on. But you'll see that it says that God regretted that he made man. You see that God regretted that he made Saul king. You have moments where God experiences climaxes of emotions even. His anger just flares up. And Moses, here's a good example, Moses intercedes because God says, I'm going to, and God does not lie, I'm going to wipe out all of Israel and I'm going to start all over again. And Moses reasons with God. I mean, this is just such a beautiful picture of the closeness of God and how much our nature is like his. They're reasoning together. A wise man and a friend of God can reason with God. Moses reasons with God and says, Come on, Lord, if you kill us all, if you kill everybody, then our enemies will say, well, the, there's no God in Israel or God just brought them out into the wilderness to kill them. You know, essentially he was saying, God, you'll look bad. And so it says that God relented and, and it's, it actually says he changed his mind. He changed his mind. So I can just picture this at the conference where the guy gets up and says, the Lord, thus saith the Lord, 
I'm going to wipe out all of Israel. And that's the word. Uh, it was a short, service, short session at that conference. And then a little later, God doesn't end up wiping them out. And you think, huh, was that person a false prophet? Well, maybe the people repented or somebody interceded and the Lord changed his mind. We're talking about the ways of God here. The will of man working with God's will is a very powerful thing. And so go to God, reason with him. Another great example of this we see in the life of Jonah. You know the story of Jonah where uh, Jonah is told to go to Nineveh and prophesy to it that if you don't repent, you know, judgment is coming upon this massive uh, city of its day. And Jonah goes, and, and this is his debut as a prophet, so he's really excited. He wears his best suit. He's got his business cards. This is his moment. He takes the stage before Nineveh, and he releases the word, and it's posted on Elijah list and, and, and everywhere else in the body. And he releases the word. And, and that you're all going to be judged and you need to repent. And guess what happens? Good for the people, but bad for Jonah. The people repented. To his shock, <laughs> they all repented. Thus, God didn't send the judgment. And Jonah starts to get worried that he looks like a false prophet. He's more concerned about his reputation then all of these people, and God speaks to it. God actually says, Jonah, as Jonah's sitting there sulking that his, his prophetic word didn't come to pass, and he didn't look like a great and mighty prophet, he wore his best suit. And, and, and God says, Jonah, don't you care about the thousands of people, men, women, and children, and God even names the animals? He says, and, and the animals and the... Don't you care? I care more about the people than your prophetic debut, than your word coming to pass. And man, is this still speaking today to us, that we as prophetic voices have to get back to the place where it's all about the betterment of the people, not about our reputation, where we set our reputations on the side. If that means you didn't get to prophesy at the big conference and you, you felt you needed to deliver, or you weren't seen, your word wasn't heard, something didn't quite work out as you, as you thought it would, where we're able to set that aside and make God priority and our brothers and sisters priority and reputations are, are left on the shelf. If you think about the prophetic gift and the prophetic office, one of the things you find so often is the hierarchical superiority complex within people who claim to be prophets or are actually prophets. We'll see this thing and we'll identify ourselves with hearing God and being his mouthpiece to the people and automatically you step into an Old Testament model. Automatically you'll see they'll step into an Old Testament model. I am the prophet. I should be respected. I, there should be a little extra for me because I hear God and I tell you is, is literally how it can come across at times. And that is not at all the heart of Moses for New Testament prophecy. And I say that because Moses in the Old Testament looked for a day. He said, I wish that all God's people could prophesy, that they could hear the voice of God and 
and prophesy. He looked for a day that all of us would be prophets, and now we're in that day where we all can hear the voice of the God, uh, the voice of God. We all can hear and act, and and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. The Spirit has been poured out. Yes, there are uh, heightened levels of gifts, anointings, uh, the office of the prophet. It's a different manifestation. There's there's all kinds of characteristics that make the office of prophet different than just the gift or the spirit of prophecy. But you're not superior in any way above to the point that there must be this, uh, you know, the superiority complex that, that, that offends so many people and makes it difficult. And so we're all God's servants. And we all walk with God. And we must not be like Jonah. We have to look for the betterment of the people. And from that place, there'll be a purity in your heart that allows to hear God, disarms all of your filters, and release the true inspiration of the Lord. And it meets people where they're at. It changes people. It changes churches. And it changes nations. Look forward to seeing you next week on Transformation Generation. God bless. Thanks for listening to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you liked what you heard, visit historymakersacademy.com to enroll in one of our cutting-edge trainings. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, History Makers TV.